Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks that's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the part. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They've got a great, great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor-made, but also something custom-made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels, exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, if you're looking for something to do this 4th of July weekend, might I suggest paying a visit to the Benjamin Harrison House right there on Delaware Street. And join us on Newsline to talk about Benjamin Harrison and the house as well is, um, whoops, lost my train of thought there. Give me one second. Let me start over. All right, coming in three, two, one. Well, if you're looking for something to do this 4th of July weekend, want to get a little bit of American history right here in the Hoosier State, might I recommend the Benjamin Harrison House right there on Delaware Street. Join us on the news line. Talk about that is Charles Hyde. Charles, the president and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison House. So, Charles, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to talk to you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, uh, just for somebody who may not know, who exactly was Benjamin Harrison? For people who may not have any idea. Well, first and foremost, he was the Hoosier president, right? He's America's Hoosier president. So 23rd president of the United States, and um, he was elected in 1889 and served through 1893. That's an important distinction to make, seeing as his grandfather was also president of the United States, but it was William Henry Harrison that only survived a month into his term, whereas Benjamin Harrison served his full four years. So his grandfather was president, and he was president. Whatever happened to his dad? Well, you know, his, his dad was, quote unquote, only um, a legislator from Ohio. So, I mean, living up to really high standards to, to have a son and a father, both presidents of the United States. Um, but, of course, um, Benjamin Harrison, um, uh, represented here in Indianapolis, is the great-grandson of Benjamin Harrison V, who is a signer of the Declaration of Independence. So, I mean, a very accomplished family across the board, across multiple generations. Uh, so how did the Harrisons end up here in Indiana? Well, so it was specifically Benjamin Harrison, who became a Hoosier by choice. So he actually met his future wife, uh, Caroline Harrison, um, at Miami University um, during their college years. And Harrison decided that he would um, study law rather than um, become a um, rather than go into religion and, and follow his, his interests there. So he read law in Cincinnati, and as he was coming to the conclusion of his studies, he had to make that big decision whether he wanted to stay in Cincinnati or whether he wanted to go elsewhere. And so he was seriously considering moving to Chicago or coming to Indianapolis and decided ultimately that his prospects were best in Indianapolis, and so in the mid-1850s, uh, moved here with his young wife, and um, they started to build their lives along with a burgeoning city. So what was his first job? Was he just a, uh, like, a, like a lot of other folks at the time, just a lawyer in private practice, or did he do something else? Yes, so so started off as a lawyer, and um, actually some of his accounts of that era are make for really interesting reading because he, he talks about his efforts trying to secure clients, and um, the difficulty of doing so, and he was able to steadily rise up through the ranks and come to greater prominence as a lawyer. He actually became renowned for his um, abilities to prepare for cases. 
um, famously in a, I think, a, a pharmaceutical um, case um, where I think there was some alleged poisoning and so on. Harrison did an enormous amount of study and was able to, um, to question um, witnesses um, with great authority um, that, that certainly exceeded what he should have been able to know um, just with that limited preparation that he was able to do. So he was, he was renowned from the outset as a lawyer, um, was known for speaking extemporaneously, um, just did an enormous amount of preparation for any and every case that he came into. So eventually he, he became Supreme Court reporter for the state of Indiana. Um, and so he actually held that post at the outbreak of the Civil War. And Harrison, um, after Governor Morton approached him about helping to uh, raise troops, Harrison you know, said, if, if I'm needed, I will go. And Governor Morton said, no, I'm not asking you to go. Um, just know that you're a great orator and I, I want you to help you know, kind of plead the cause. Obviously, you know, you have an official post and you have a young family. And Harrison said, if, if I'm asking others to go, then, then I want to serve as well. So Harrison actually went out that day and um, started raising a regiment, so a thousand troops. And um, he himself started off as second lieutenant, and by the end of the war had been breveted as a brigadier general for valor in battle. And so that, that brings him back around to Supreme Court reporter when he returned to Indianapolis and reassuming those duties. So how did he end up uh, in politics? Uh, obviously, uh, being you know, knowing the governor, uh, helping organize uh, troops during the Civil War didn't hurt his didn't hurt his prospects much. Well, so Harrison was very involved in the nascent Republican Party. Harrison was vehemently anti-slavery, and so he saw the Civil War as um, eliminating um, eliminating slavery. And again, was very outspoken. He was on the welcoming committee for Lincoln um, and Lincoln's campaign um, um, in 1860, and so. Um, Again, for, for Harrison, I think that, that he always had an interest in, in, um, in politics and certainly in statecraft and certainly with a family legacy. He said he wanted it understood that he the only thing he ever inherited was his name. He didn't inherit any wealth from family, even though it was an illustrious American family. Um, he never inherited that wealth. So it was, it was all just kind of that family legacy of civic service. And so I think that he must have had that interest from the outset, um, just with his family's involvement and the growth of, of this country. Now, I know a lot of folks, uh, when they end up in politics, they usually end up run, running for a lower office, uh, either governor, U.S. senator, you know, House uh, representative or you know, secretary of state or some, 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 some other type of office. Uh, did Benjamin Harrison ever hold any offices prior to running for president? Yes. So I think Harrison even said something to the effect of that the um, the only office that he willingly ran for was the Supreme Court reporter. So that time it was an elected position. Um, he at one point, and I don't remember the exact year for this, um, but it would have been in the late 1870s, um, the Republican candidate for governor in the state of Indiana um, apparently was caught up in some great scandal. And so Harrison was asked at the last minute to step in for that candidate. So he was running against Blue Jean Williams. And Blue Jean Williams went on to win that election narrowly, but in the process of Harrison campaigning um, for the governorship, um, earned such widespread respect 
um, certainly for his speeches, for his campaigning, um, how much progress he was able to make in a very short period of time against kind of overwhelming odds actually strengthened his position um, for, for future office. He actually went on to, um, to serve Indiana as senator for the state. Um, then in 18, it would have been 1882, I think 1886. Um, and I think that better positioned him on the national stage in terms of awareness of the primary issues of the day, sharpened his um, opinions and his understanding of national and international policy. So uh, if I remember reading correctly at the White House uh, website, uh, the Democrats labeled him as sort of Kid Gloves Harrison, I believe it was called. Yes. And so, of course, um, politics has always been characterized by uh, clever nicknames, and and Harrison didn't escape. Um, He was also sometimes known as the iceberg. But I, I think I think that it's good to have context to some of those nicknames and, and maybe to look at them in a different light. For Harrison, he, he was famous for wearing the um, the kind of the kid gloves, but he'd actually suffered um, a pretty traumatic injury during the Civil War um, where he'd gotten um, a significant infection on the back of his hand. So while he served in a number of campaigns and was known to lead his troops from the front, he was never shot. But apparently he severe or suffered severe infection on the back of his hands. And so I think it must have scarred his hands and, and caused him great discomfort. So the, the gloves were, were probably a um, um, contrast maybe to Blue Jeans Williams, um, who was more homespun. And so they, they were kind of set up that contrast. And then as far as being known as the iceberg, um, he was seen as being very official in his capacities. And so, you know, that official austerity that was respected, say, in a political figure like Washington, um, maybe was resented more with somebody like Harrison. I mean, Harrison, you could describe as the uh, 44th tallest president. If you do the math, that would make him the second shortest. Um, and so maybe didn't have his commanding of a presence um, one-on-one, and so was seen as a little bit aloof and a little bit removed. Um, but I would argue that that, that austerity or that aloofness, um, you know, being described as the iceberg, you, you probably only saw 10% of Harrison above the surface at any given time, um, that, that he was reserved and he did want to um, govern in a way that um, lived up to the standards that that had been set forward, um, certainly by Washington and, and Lincoln and others that he emulated. Our guest on the program today is Mr. Charles Floyd, Char- Charles Hydra, Charlie Hyde, rather. Charles is Charles is the uh, president of the Benjamin Harrison House, and so we're talking to him today. Uh, since we're talking about the Fourth of July and uh, sort of hi- American history, uh, talk about sort of Benjamin Harrison. Okay, Charlie, uh, help me out here. Uh, how did Benjamin Harrison become president? Sure. So you, you look at Harrison's path to the presidency, and um, he, he was definitely, a, I'd say, an underdog um, in that in that candidacy. And so in that, in that era, you would have had the conventions taking place. You wouldn't have had the candidates um, there at the convention. So you would have kind of others making that case for you. Um, and in, in Harrison's case, um, a lot of it came down to Blaine, who had been defeated in 1884, was being um, maybe wishy-washy is, is in the best term, but um, he was being um, non-conclusive, kind of in, in his willingness to run for 1888. 
and open the door essentially then for a candidate like Benjamin Harrison. So through these successive ballots, um, there was growing momentum around Harrison. You know, certainly the family name was well known. Harrison had come to greater prominence um, on a regional and national basis as senator from Indiana. Um, he was highly esteemed as a lawyer, and a number of his cases caught national attention. Um, he was on um, uh, personal terms with some of the presidential leadership uh, that preceded him. And so I think all in all, it, it made Benjamin Harrison a very compelling candidate, um, but maybe not the most obvious. Now, what's so, interesting, uh, not to cut you off, but what's interesting about uh, Benjamin Harrison I always found was he served in between Grover Cleveland Part 1 and Grover Cleveland Part 2. And that, that's really fascinating. And I think in, in part... The reasons for that are, are less than obvious, and and it's actually been very interesting for me, um, being here at the Benjamin Harrison presidential site, to come to better understand this story and this legacy of of America's future president. And that so you had Harrison then in that election of 1888 um, lose the popular vote, but won the electoral college. So there have not been many times in our country's history that that's happened. I want to say like maybe like um, four, I think it was, altogether. Yeah, and, and, and more recently. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but in all of this, it's interesting because what was happening concurrently was you had in the late 19th century, you had organized suppression of the African-American vote in the American South. And so when you look at Benjamin Harrison's legacy as a president and the things that he prioritized through his presidency, um, when he actually received that nomination for the presidency, he was asked to maybe not dwell on um, on African-American civil rights as part of his platform. And Harrison said he wanted it understood that he would not trade the presidency for a compact of silence on that issue. So he continued to be outspoken about that matter. And um, historian Charles Calhoun has argued that that suppression in the South actually represents, in part, Harrison's loss of the popular vote in that election of 1888, and accounts in part for Harrison's more substantial loss of both the popular vote and the Electoral College in 1892, as those efforts in the South were picking up speed um, and momentum to suppress the vote. And so it's it's just a really interesting um, perspective. Um, And again, historian Charles Calhoun has examined this, and other historians have examined the implications, um, certainly on those elections. Our guest on the program today is Charlie Hyde. Charlie is the president and CEO of the Benjamin Harrison House. So we're talking about Benjamin Harrison and uh, as I said, as we sort of celebrate this 4th of July weekend. Uh, Charlie, let me ask you, what was his administration like? What were his big, big ideas? What, What was he known for? Well, you, since, since you mentioned the 4th of July, I'll start with some, some important legacies that the people may not be aware of. And it, it's interesting because um, you bring up Benjamin Harrison in a conversation, and a lot of people kind of get a, a blank look that maybe don't think that they know very much. And I would argue that or or, or, they, are, or they see him as one of those presidents between like Abraham Lincoln and, I don't know, Teddy Roosevelt with the big beards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he was the last president to have a, a full beard. But... but I think that people know Benjamin Harrison much more 
much better than they realize they do. For example, if you've ever said the Pledge of Allegiance, you know Benjamin Harrison. So it was actually Harrison that called for the use of the Pledge of Allegiance in schools across the nation as part of centennial celebrations. So Benjamin Harrison was actually inaugurated one century after George Washington. And with those big national celebrations, it gave him opportunity to really hearken to national unity rather than the the factionalism that we saw during the American Civil War with more state-based identity. So much in the same way, Benjamin Harrison called for the American flag to be flown in front of schools and public buildings. And so he... You know, he had been going through New York City um, with the recreation of that um, Washington inauguration the century before and had seen the flags flying, you know, everywhere. And so Harrison asked, he said, after these celebrations are complete, please continue to fly the flag in front of schools and public buildings. So two of those really like central um, components of, of what we think about and, and how, you know, we act as good citizens um, and, and part of our American identity all harken back to Benjamin Harrison and his presidency. Uh, we got uh, a couple minutes left here, Charlie. Uh, so uh, how did he lose and what was his life like in, in sort of the, in, a, in a post-presidency world? You know, Harrison said after learning the news of his loss, he said he felt like a man released from prison. Um, and so I think that he bore the weight of responsibility of the American presidency hugely. And it's one of the things we try to think about here at the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site is when you when you look over the arc of American history, you think about you know, there have been 500 million citizens, uh, just over 12,000 individuals who've served in Congress, uh, 116 people who have served on the Supreme Court, but only 45 presidents and 46 administrations who have actually been presidents of the United States. So it's 45 people out of a half billion. So there's some reason why they were called by their fellow citizens to the highest office in the land. And I think that you can see as you examine Benjamin Harrison's legacy more closely that while he served just those four years, and in part, you know, his wife Caroline Harrison actually was on her deathbed um, the second half of 1892, and so Harrison refused to campaign for himself for that presidency and for the candidate who is known for his great oration, you know, who had conducted his entire campaign here from the front stoop of the Benjamin of the Harrison's house here at 12 and Delaware Street, um, you know, giving 80 speeches to over 300,000 people for him not to speak on his own behalf was, um, you know, certainly worked against him. But but he understood that he had accomplished a lot in his four years. He had called for and signed the Sherman Antitrust Act, um, of course, put to great effect later by Theodore Roosevelt, um, one of two future presidents that Benjamin Harrison had given first federal jobs to. Um, you also had Harrison call for and sign the Forest Reserve Act. So that created the national forest system um, that allowed Harrison to create the second, third, and fourth national park, first military park, first urban park. And it was really that framework by which then the national park system was able to develop and grow. Um, so I think Harrison had reason to be proud for his four years of service and continued to be respected as an elder statesman and ex-president um, until his death in 1901. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been Charlie High. Charlie is a president and CEO of the Harrison House, which, by the way, is right there at 12th and Delaware, just north of downtown Indianapolis. We recommend you check it out uh, this Fourth July weekend. So, Charlie, my friend, thank you very much for an interesting history lesson. Thanks so much, Abdul. 
This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.